were listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. If we can all stand for the reading of God's word in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, good morning. It's good to gather with you today on this uh, third Sunday of Advent. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, I hope that I can do that today. So please feel free to come up and say hello. Uh, it's good just to gather together this morning to sing songs of praise and hopefulness as we look forward to Christ coming again and in celebration that he has come. And that's what we celebrate during this Advent season. Before we dive into our text today, just let's, let's just go to the Lord in prayer uh, and just ask him to, to meet us in this time, that his presence would be very real to us, that his spirit would be at work. So would you pray with me this morning? God of mercy, we come before you today and we rejoice as we sang earlier because you, the God who's called everything into existence, you have made yourself known to us. And God, that's a gift of grace just that we can know who you are. And you are gracious and you are good and you are faithful and you are true and God, you are mighty and you are majestic, you are holy and you are just. And I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would help us to see clearly with the eyes of our hearts and minds, and that as we do that, that by the work of your spirit, God, I pray that you would transform us today. That as we hear your word, that you would help us by your spirit to apply it to our lives, and that your living and active word would do its work today. God, we thank you for the gift of grace it is to gather together. May you be honored today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, from an early age, uh, we start to figure out that there is a, a relationship between our actions and the outcome. We begin to realize kind of the reality of cause and effect. You can see this in little kids, right? They sit at their high chair and they have their bottle or their cup and they throw it off. What's mom and dad going to do? Are they going to pick it up and put it back on? And inevitably, the first few times that happens, right? The bottle gets put back on the tray. And then what happens next? They throw it off again. I mean, these little human beings who can't form sentences yet are conducting science experiments. What's going to happen when I do this? But this idea of cause and effect, it, it plays out in our life continually in big ways and small ways. And negative ways and positive ways. If I don't exercise, then I won't be healthy. If I, if I uh, don't brush my teeth well, then I'll get gum disease or cavities. If I stick to my budget, then I'll be less stressed out. If I practice playing, then I'll be better. If I try to be more encouraging instead of critical, people tend to like to be around me more. Cause and effect relationships are all around us all of the time. Well, this Sunday, as I mentioned, is our third week in this celebration of Advent, this Advent season, where we look back in thanksgiving that Jesus has come and look forward in hope that Jesus will come again. 
when Jesus came the first time and when He comes again, He will come in glory. He'll come in glory because in and through Jesus, the perfect glory of God is revealed to us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know God, if you want to know who He is in His character, in His nature, then you can find that in looking to Jesus. Because of this wonderful reality, we spend and are spending these four Sundays in Advent looking at God's Word with this invitation for all of us, no matter where you find yourself in your spiritual journey, with all of us to come and see His glory. To come and gaze on Christ. To be seeing it maybe for the first time we've ever really understood who Jesus is. Or maybe for a lot of us just to refocus in the midst of a season in a world that can be so distracting to us. And so the last few Sundays, we've looked at this idea of glory and what it means and that Christ reveals it to us perfectly. But this morning, we need to ask another important question. What happens when we come and see God's glory in Jesus? What happens when we come and see the glory of God made manifest in Jesus? In other words, what is the effect of looking to Jesus? What's the effect to looking to him above all other things? Does it actually change anything in my life? Maybe you've been skeptical about Jesus, skeptical about the Christian faith because of a question like this in so many words. Like, does it really matter if I give my life to Christ? I mean, what difference is it really going to make if I look to Jesus and follow Jesus or not? Maybe for those of you that are following Jesus, you've been doing that for a long time, and like me, you need to be reminded this morning that looking to the glory of Christ is not just some theological exercise. It's not a kind of a rhetorical thing for us to do that it can literally and actually change your life when you look to Jesus. So my hope this morning is that you will not only see the greatness and glory of Jesus this Advent, but that God will actually change your life because you do. So with that, let's dive into our text this morning. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, and may we come and see his glory this morning. This text in 2 Corinthians is is one of my absolute favorite texts in Scripture. God has used it and continues to use it in my life again and again when I feel wayward or weary to call me back to himself. It's packed with promise. It's packed with truth. Before we really dive into the three verses that we're going to look at this morning, though, it's helpful for us to get a little bit of context and understand kind of the background of what's going on here. The Apostle Paul's writing this letter to this church in Corinth, but he's telling this story about Moses. And we referenced this a little bit last week. Moses is leading God's people. We can go back to the beginning of the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And we see that after God's people have been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, they're out in the wilderness, and, and Moses goes up onto the mountain to have a, an interaction with God, an experience with God in His presence. God is speaking to Moses so that Moses might be a, a mediator between him and and God's people, and God's people, and God. And so Moses goes up on this mountain, and he is going to be receiving the laws, the commands of God. And God's going to speak to him and say, this is what the good life looks like. This is what it looks like to be in relationship with me. But in the midst of this conversation that Moses has with God, he, he asks God for something big. He says, God, I want to see your glory. As we mentioned last week, that's a, that's a huge request, because if we see the fullness of God's glory in our humanity, it will completely crush us. So God says, 
Moses, you can't see the fullness of my glory, but I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock and I will pass by you. My presence will pass by you and you'll see the, the tail end, the remnants of my glory. And so that happens. And as Moses comes down off this mountain with God's law, with his commands, the people see Moses and they aren't just excited to see Moses. They are in awe because Moses' face is literally glowing before them. He's encountered just a remnant of God's glory and his face is shining brightly before him. They're kind of lost in the fact that they, he has this glowing face and so Moses actually covers his face with a veil because this face starts to fade. The glow starts to fade as he's been more distant from that experience with God. Now Paul uses this as a metaphor in 2 Corinthians because what he's using it as a metaphor for is to say, that even in the midst of this, the, the people of God often are looking for life in the law. They're, they're looking for life in what God says to them, these commands they should follow instead of looking for life in him. Paul says it's like they have a veil over their eyes, just like Moses covered up his face. And whenever the law of God is read, the people are blinded to who God is in the midst of that. See, Paul is talking about this for us today and talking to the Corinthians because the same temptation is true for us, that we have a temptation to find life in following rules. Like, just tell me what to do. Let me, let me check a box off. If I can just hit these few things, then I know I'm good. And that can play out in a lot of different ways, but at the core of what it is, is this temptation for us to find our, our independence, our, our freedom, and believing that we can actually fix ourselves that we're okay by ourselves, that we can save ourselves. And if you're a religious person, that comes out in doing things for God. That you're trying to do your religious activities, your religious duties, believing that those things in and of themselves will enable you to be right before God, to be okay. You may find yourself this morning saying, well, I'm not a religious person. I'm actually an irreligious person. I've kind of rejected this idea of religion but this same principle still applies for you because you may not be seeking to follow God's law, but you've made your own law. Things you believe will be good for you to follow, rules and things that you believe, if I do more good than bad, then that'll outweigh that and I'll be okay. You're still trying to make yourself right by what you do. And there's not a problem with the law. God's law is good. It, it shows us our need for his help. It shows us our need for redemption. It shows us the weakness of our humanity, that we aren't able to live up to this perfect, holy, right standard that God sets before us. The law is not bad, and doing good to others is not bad. Paul even says there's glory in it, but the kind of glory that's in it is a fading glory. It's going away. It was never meant to fix our greatest problem, our need to be redeemed, our need to be restored something we can't do on our own. See, the problem for all of us is when we go looking for life in the law, when we go looking for life in following rules, whether that's God's law or our own made-up law, instead of, instead of looking for life in the one who came to fulfill the law perfectly, the one who declares to us it is finished. It's looking for life in a place of death, and when that happens, when we're tempted towards that, the veil remains. We're, we're blinded. Whenever the law of God is read, Paul says, whenever we listen to a sermon, whenever we read our Bibles, whenever we think that we have to accomplish more or do more, 
We see duty and not delight. We hear do and not done. We look for life and less glorious things. But, Paul says, verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, when one turns to Jesus, the veil is removed. It's taken away. When you turn to Jesus, it's only then that you can see what is truly and perfectly glorious. That you can actually behold that because this veil is removed. Your eyes are open to see the gloriousness of Christ. When I was growing up, we had a a dog named Rosie. And Rosie was a West Highland Terrier. A little little white-coated dog uh, that's probably about 15 to 18 pounds. And she's a great dog, wonderful dog. Sometimes I think she had more personality than, than some people that I've met at different times. She was just a lot of fun. And so she, uh, when, when it snowed, though, we would let Rosie out in the backyard. And she would go out in the backyard, and all of a sudden, we'd be like, wow, you look really dirty. <laughs> because her white coat up against the pure white snow kind of put in p- perspective for us the fact that she wasn't as pure and clean as we thought she was. Her the, the whiteness of her clo- coat looked really yellow and dirty compared to the perfect, blinding whiteness of the snow. See, when we look to Jesus, when you set your gaze on Jesus, when you see Jesus for who he truly is, everything else that you put up next to Jesus pales in comparison to him. His glory outshines everything. But until you actually look to Christ, you aren't able to see the difference in those two things. See, what Paul's doing here is in the midst of seeing a fading glory of trying to have, find and, and pursue life and following rules and trying to do good and be good, he's calling us to focus on what is truly glorious. A greater glory that's found in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. What is glory? It's, it's the greatness of God. It's his majesty, his magnificence. It's the holiness of God. It's his character and his nature, the weightiness of God, his very presence is His glory. And it's in and through the gospel, the good news of Christ, who He is and what He's done, that the glory of God is on full display, on perfect display. That God accomplished in and through Jesus what you could not do on your own. That God accomplished in and through Jesus what was blinding for you. He removed those barriers. He removed those blinders that keep you from truly knowing and experiencing God. But now, through Christ, you can see Him in His glory. You can experience His grace. You can experience His majesty and His love and mercy towards you. It is in and through Jesus that you are made alive by God. God, who forgave you of all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against you. Setting it aside. Nailing it to the cross. The law of God points out the fact that you need a Savior. It points out the fact that you need a Redeemer. It isn't your Savior. It isn't your Redeemer. In Jesus, it is finished. See, the glory of Christ, seen in the good news of the Gospel, removes the requirement of your performance to know and be known by God, to love and be loved by God, because Jesus fulfilled it for you. What amazing and freeing news. And that's what comes about when we focus on the glory of God found in Jesus. We experience true freedom, which is what Paul says in verse 16 and 17. But whenever, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you look to Jesus, you're free from the bondage of sin. When you 
look to Jesus, you're freed from trying to fix yourself up. When you're looking to Jesus, you're freed from trying to pretend that everything's okay in your life. When you look to Jesus, you're freed from trying to earn your way into God's presence. What this means is that on your worst day, when you are utterly disobedient, walking in sin, walking in unbelief, the grace of the gospel communicates to you that God is ever faithful to you. That you can't throw off his grace and love because he's given it to you in Christ. But it also means that on your best day, when you are faithful and you don't recognize a lot of gross sin in your life, the grace of the gospel communicates to you that you're only able to walk in obedience because of what Christ has done for you. It all comes back to the grace of the gospel that we see in the gloriousness of Christ. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Friends, the Spirit is speaking. Are you attentive to Him this morning? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit this morning speaking into your life? In His presence, there is freedom. Do you want freedom today? Do you need freedom today? Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, turn to Jesus. And it's in that phrase, turning to Jesus, that I don't want us to miss what Paul's communicating to us. When you turn to Christ, what he's calling you to is repentance. Repentance. That's what it means to turn to Jesus. In order to turn to him, to set your gaze on him, you have to turn away from something else. Whatever it is that you're seeking to find glory in, whatever is less glorious than Christ, whatever is robbing glory from God, you're turning away from those things. Whatever you're seeking to find hope in, whatever you're seeking to find life in, repentance is turning away from that and turning towards Christ. But here's the thing, repentance is not just a one-time event in your life. It's not something you do at the beginning of following Jesus and never do again. Repentance is an ongoing reality for every follower of Jesus, and here's why. Because repentance requires you to say over and over again, I need a Savior, I can't be my own. I need a Savior, I can't be my own. So listen, if you find yourself either trying to earn acceptance from God by doing something for God, or if you've run away from religion or faith because you believe it's just a bunch of rules, let me implore you and plead with you this morning to look to Christ to find and see the glory that removes all barriers and barricades and simply says to you right now, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Where do you need to repent today? What is it that you need to turn away from today where you are seeking life and you are seeking hope in something less glorious than Jesus? When you focus on glory, you experience freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But it's not just freedom from the dominion of sin. Yes, you've been set free from that. You're no longer enslaved to it. But it's also freedom to change. Which leads to our next point. That we, are all tra- we are also transformed by glory. Listen to this glorious promise again from verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is from the Lord. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? Within this verse is enormously rich and gracious cause and effect. And so let's just break this down piece by piece so that as we look at the individual pieces, we can see the masterpiece of the whole. Do you see what he says here? We all, we all, every single person who repents and believes, 
There's no category here. Everyone, we all. It doesn't mean you have to know a lot of theology. You don't have to have a lot of experience in following Jesus for a long time. If you've placed your faith, if you've placed your hope in Christ, if you've repented and turned to him, believing in him, you're included in this. This is true for you. We all, with unveiled faces, when the veil has been removed, the blinders have been removed, that we can look on Christ and see him as everything else around is less glorious when we look to Jesus and see him for who he truly is. Now by grace, you can see clearly the gospel, the glory of the gospel in Christ, which is what he says next. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. There it is, beholding. To behold something means we look on it, we gaze out on it, we fix our eyes on it, we're taken captive by this. It kind of takes our breath away. When we look out at a beautiful sunset or amazing scenery, we behold it. We're perplexed by it. We're overwhelmed by it. It's not just kind of a quick glance at something. It's a zeroing in on it to behold the glory of Christ. When we do that, we are being. Are being. This is not a possibility. It's not a maybe. This is a definite, ongoing reality. If you are a person who has placed all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus, this is true for you. You are being transformed. God is at work in your life. He is at work. You are being changed. And to what end? To be a better version of you? No, into the same image, to be more like Jesus. You are being transformed to be more like Jesus. Remember, God created you for his glory. He created you for his glory to experience it in your own life and to express it, to reflect it, to shine brightly around you. He created you as an image bearer of himself. You are meant to reflect his glory, just like a mirror, to the praise of his name for the good of your own soul. Man, sin messed that up. Instead of Seeing God's glory, instead of reflecting God's glory, we've sought to steal God's glory. To rob him of it, to take it for ourselves. And the result of that is not the lie that the enemy speaks to you. It's not freedom. It's not independence. It's slavery. It's agony. It's brokenness. It's weariness. But God made a way. He made a way to recover his glory. He made a way to manifest his glory and express it to you and through you. He sent his son to rescue and redeem. And now, now, we aren't just set free from the condemnation of our glory stealing. We're not just set free from the captivity of our sin. When we turn to Jesus in faith and repentance, we are transformed to be like him. What does he say? From one degree of glory to another. What an amazing gift of grace. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Instead of being a glory stealer, you're now a glory inheritor. I mean, that's insane. God doesn't just rescue you and say, okay, you're good now. I'm not going to pay much attention to you. He gives you himself. and shines his glory in and through you. And I love that Paul says from one degree of glory to another. This is incremental change. It sometimes may seem slow in your life. Maybe at times when you're looking to Christ, you're beholding his glory, it almost seems as if there's no change taking place at all. It can be unnoticeable, but it is progressive. God is always at work. You are being transformed. God will complete the good work he began in you, the good work he began in us. And the reason he's doing that is because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. 
Now, some of you know this in a very real way in your life right now. And you've experienced change in your life, maybe over the last few years or maybe over the last few months or over the last few weeks. And and I know that's the case because I know some of your stories. Some of you right now are growing in contentment that the life stage that you find yourself in, the situation you find yourself in is not what you'd hope for. It's not ideal for you. It's not what you want, but you're finding yourself growing in contentment and trusting in the Lord right now. Some of you right now are experiencing growth in holiness. That sin is becoming more wicked and more distasteful for you as you look on Christ. Some of you right now are getting less angry or getting angry less often in your life. You're not blowing up in anger or, or disappointment at unmet expectations. You're seeing patterns of addiction broken. Some of you are being quicker to admit that you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. But I also know that at any given moment, you may feel like you're not moving forward at all, but only backward. And God, I feel like I'm just stuck. I see this. It says I'm going to be changed if I look to Jesus, but I don't feel like any change is taking place. I know I feel like this at times. And I wonder if it's not because of two different realities that are taking place in our life. The first is that we can miss the evidences of grace. That Though we got angry and irritated at our kids today, we didn't the day before. Though we grumbled and complained about the situation and circumstances of our life, we quickly recognized that a lot quicker than we used to. And we stopped and we repented and we asked God to help us. Though we stumbled again looking at something on the internet that we know is not honoring to Christ, not honoring to the Lord, the Spirit spoke so strongly to us and convicted us so quickly that we ran away. Maybe to you that sounds scandalous, but to me it sounds like grace. It sounds like God's working in your life to see change happen, transforming you from one degree of glory to another as you look to Jesus. Friends, in Christ you are given freedom from the bondage of sin. You are given freedom from its power in your life, and you're given freedom to change. It isn't permission to keep on keeping on in disobedience. It is an opportunity for you to keep practicing repentance, to turn again and again and again to Jesus, looking in faith to your glorious and gracious Redeemer. The other reason I think we can struggle sometimes to believe this is true, that God is actually at work in your life, that he is actually transforming you to be more like Jesus, is because we're looking in the wrong place. Have you ever been to a fun house at a fair? You know those places that are kind of like mazes or got weird rooms and walls, but it isn't really a fun house unless it has those fun house mirrors up all around. The ones that kind of distort your image, maybe, maybe look, it makes you look a little bit more round or tall or squiggly or something like that. When we approach change, when we think about coming before a mirror, looking into that to see what needs to take place in our own life, a lot of us are looking at circus mirrors. We're looking at funhouse mirrors. We're looking at distorted images. And maybe those funky mirrors kind of depict how you're actually feeling. Do you feel stretched out right now? Do you feel disproportionate, wrong? Do you feel weird, strange? When we place ourselves before those mirrors, we realize we're not in any kind of funhouse. It's a broken down house. This is where a lot of us struggle with change. We see where change is needed, but we're looking at the wrong image for change to actually take place. 
And too often we look for change. We're told to change in a mirror of self-will. Here's what's going on in your life. You see your sin. It's exposed before you, so do better. Try harder. Figure it out. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a temptation that's been going on for years and years and years. Find life in the law. Find life in following the rules, not in the one who wants to rescue you and change you. No, what is Paul calling us to to experience freedom? What is he calling us to to experience transformation? He's calling you, he's calling me to behold the glory of the Lord. This is not a call to self-help. It's not a call to grinning and bearing it. It's certainly not a call to fake it till you make it. No, he is saying to you and to me, place yourself before the mirror of God's grace. Place yourself before the mirror of God's grace. And as you place yourself before that and God shows you the areas of your life that don't quite match up with his holiness, in the midst of that, you can gaze on the glory of Christ and see that he has fulfilled everything for you. You can gaze on the glory of Christ and all of his awesomeness and all of his perfection, his sacrifice and his resurrection. And when you do, that's when transformation starts to happen because God is at work in your life. Why? Because he outshines all of your sin. Jesus outshines all of your shame. Any burden that you're bearing that's not yours to bear, he crushes all of those things because he invites you to freedom. He invites you to walk in your reality of who you are now in Christ. When you behold Jesus, you see him in his glory and you see yourself in him. It's so important for us to understand what that means, that we are in Christ. In fact, it's so important. We're going to spend the first Sunday of the year talking about what that means. So come out on January 5th so you can be encouraged as we begin 2020. Man, I love what the New Living Translation says here. It says, see and reflect the glory of the Lord. See and reflect the glory of the Lord. In other words, when you look to Jesus, you start to look like Jesus. This is a promise that's rooted in the glory of God, brought about by his spirit. Do not leave today thinking, okay, I have to go do more. I have to try harder. I have to be better. No, what I want you to leave here today doing is looking to Christ, setting your eyes on him, letting the glory of Jesus outshine anything and everything else in your life. So what does that actually look like, though? How can you actually behold the glory of Jesus in the day-to-day of life? Remember, glory is about the character and nature of God. It's about the weightiness of who he is. To gaze on the glory of Jesus means you look to who Jesus is. You remember and reflect on and rest in his nature that Jesus is full of loving kindness. That he extends and gives grace. That he is faithful and true. That he knows you fully and loves you completely. You look to Jesus and focus on his calling and commands that when Jesus said, follow me, he actually meant it. He intended for you to walk in obedience. And all of Jesus' commands and calling and direction for your life is for your good. It's for your joy, even when it's difficult. And the amazing thing is, is that God has given us means of grace to help us behold his glory. He's given us means of grace so that we might continue to practice repentance. And look to Jesus in faith and be transformed to be more and more like him in our lives. You can see the glory of God in his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19, 1 says. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Man, some of us just need to get outside. Not just sit behind a computer all the time or a TV screen or watch that next episode that will start on Netflix in 15 seconds. 
Like actually go out and behold the glory of God and the creation around you. I know you live in Fairfax. I know there's not a lot of green all around you. But it doesn't even have to be that. Look up at the stars in the sky. Look and see the moon. Go drive 30 minutes and see the greatness of God's creation. He shines brightly before you. You can see the glory of God when you look at His Word. His living and active Word. This is God speaking to you. He's speaking to you and He's revealing Himself to you. He's telling you more about His character and more about His nature. He's inviting you to see yourself rightly in light of who He is. He's speaking to you right now through His Word. You can see it there and you can see God's glory in His church. Man, when we gather together week in and week out, we come as a bunch of messy people. I know everybody has junk in their life. Different things that are going on right now. Struggling with unbelief. Struggling with sin. Struggling relationally with the person you live with or somebody in your family or your coworker or your neighbor or whoever it happens to be. But when we come together as God's people, we acknowledge the fact that we need a Redeemer. We acknowledge the fact that we need a Savior. We don't come and act like everything's okay. We come in here saying we were once dead, now made alive people. We come in here saying, man, I need my Savior evermore because I recognize that I can't do this on my own. The, the messiness of the church only reflects the glory of God because God is at work in changing lives. If we had time this morning, we could go around every single person in this room that calls themselves a follower of Jesus and say, just tell me one thing. Tell me one thing in how God has changed you. And we could spend hours, weeks, years reflecting on that. Maybe we don't have time right here in this moment. Man, there's six other days in the week. Call up a brother. Call up a sister. Say, just tell me something. Tell me some evidence of grace in your life. Let's reflect on the glory of Christ as he's revealing it to us. Let's rejoice in that. Let's lift our voice in song today to praise him that he's revealed himself to us and we can set our gaze on Jesus. Let's take communion together this morning reflecting the fact that Christ has rescued us. And looking around the room and seeing another brother, another sister singing, another brother, another sister taking the bread, eating the cup, and just thinking about the fact that that means Jesus revealed himself to that person too. It isn't just me. I don't know how many people are here, 100, 125 people. God is revealing his glory to the nations around the world. He's saving men, women, and children left and right. Let's rejoice in that as we see the body of Christ coming together. Not neglect gathering together as we can be tempted to do. But within that, there's a word of caution, a warning for us. That if you do all of those things, if you read your Bible, if you sing songs about God and to God, if you gather together with the church, if you go to community group and you serve others, but in doing all of those things, you're not striving and longing to see the glory of Christ. If you're not looking to see Jesus, all that stuff is meaningless. So I think too often in our own pursuit of holiness and our own pursuit of being more like Jesus, we put Jesus to the side. So John Owen, in his wonderful little book, The Glory of Christ, he says this, because of that temptation, let us examine ourselves. Do you long and desire to see the reality of Christ's glory in heaven? Are you meditating on the perfect image of Christ's glory given to you in the gospel, or are you too filled with this world and its concerns? How would you answer that question about your own life right now, your own heart right now, your own longings, do you long to see Jesus? 
Do you long to see him or is he just a means to an end for you? See, the truth of this text, it's been such, like I said, such an amazing gift of grace in my own walk with Jesus through the years. It has called me back so many times from wandering away. It has encouraged me when I'm weary with sin, my own and others. It has helped me to refocus on my Redeemer when other things are seeking to captivate my heart and mind. Because it says to me, look to Jesus, behold his glory, and as you do that, you'll be so overwhelmed by it that God will begin to move you and change you from one degree of glory to another. See, the truth of this text, it matters during the season of Advent. Because if Jesus never came, if Jesus never took on human form and entered into the mess that is my life, if he never walked in perfect obedience in a broken down world, then I would have no hope. No hope for freedom, no hope for transformation. There's a reason the self-help industry is booming because we read one book and it doesn't work. And so we have to read another one. And we have to read another one. No, we need Jesus. If he didn't come the first time, then we'd have no hope of actually changing. And without the promise of his return, his second advent, what we look forward to in hope, the reason we can sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because we long for Jesus to come again. If Jesus, there's no promise of his return, then I'd have no hope of completing this journey, of finishing this race. But he has come, friends, and he will come again. Listen to this, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, that means those of you who are placed your faith in Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know, we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Man, that's the hope of this Advent season. Christ has come and he will come again what hope, what grace that when we see Jesus again, that we will be made fully and completely like him. At the beginning, we asked a question, what happens when we come and see the glory of God in Jesus? What happens is life. What happens is freedom from sin, freedom from shame. What happens is hope to be who God made you to be. An image bearer of himself, beautifully reflecting his glory. So have you turned to Jesus? Are you turning to Jesus now in your life? May this Advent season be a time of repentance and faith for us, whether that's honestly for the first time in your life. Maybe you've called yourself a follower of Jesus for a long, long time, but you, if you think about it, you've never really repented. You've never really turned away from the promises of this world. You kind of tried to grab onto a little bit of Jesus while you held onto the things of this world. So maybe for the first time, God's calling you to truly repent today to let go of the things of this world and cling tightly to Jesus. Maybe for others of us this morning, repentance and faith just looks like you recognizing your need to refocus on your Redeemer, that you've been taken captive by something else. May this Advent season be a time of beholding glory, setting our focus on him, and together, may we as God's people elevate Christ, exalt Christ in our own lives, in our community, and to the ends of the earth. He is worthy and he is glorious. I want to invite us now to come and see the glory of Jesus as we take communion together. As I, as I mentioned, this is a, a meal for us to refocus. It's a meal given to us by Jesus. And Jesus told us to take it often. And every time we eat it, every time we drink it, we proclaim his death until he comes again. 
It's an opportunity for you to refocus this morning in a world of distraction. We get to eat and drink. We get to taste and see. We get to see the, full, the fullness of His grace towards us. That He gives life in places of death. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. We drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us, and we do it together. So again, look around you this morning. Be encouraged that there are other brothers and sisters coming and eating and drinking, beholding glory today. Come forward in an act of repentance and faith to look to the one who bled and died and rose again, that you might be set free, free from sin and free to change. And then let's rejoice together in continuing to sing praises to our Savior who has come and will come again. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just ask you not to come forward, but instead just to think on what's been said this morning, what you've heard in the song, the scripture that's been read, and something that I've said this morning. And Would you actually consider turning to Christ today? To, to stepping out in faith and saying, my only hope is in Jesus. And then next week you can come and rejoice and celebrate with us as a new follower of Christ. For those of you that will come forward, there's tables at the front and tables at the back. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to be captivated by you. Captivated by your glory. Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to not be captivated by less glorious things. So I ask God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we look on Christ, as we look on you, Jesus, that you'd set us free, that you'd help us to see who you truly are, that you'd help us to behold glory. And God, I pray that we'd use the means of grace you've given to us to do that. One of the biggest of which is just that you've given us each other. So God, as we go out into this week, I pray that we'd remind each other in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life, in the midst of all the things that could pull our attention away, that we would help one another to refocus our minds and our hearts on transforming glory. Help us to behold glory. Send us out, O oh God, that we might proclaim the good news of Christ to those around us that are being held captive by something else besides you. Help us to set Jesus before people. And then as our friends and neighbors, coworkers, family members see Christ in us and through us, they'd be drawn to him. God, we pray that you'd bring revival and redemption to this place. Thank you for your continual grace. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. We rejoice in that this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.